Welcome to the next edition of Business Law Focus. It's great having you with us. And it's a pleasure to welcome Stephen Badlender, who's one of South Africa's leading advocates, senior counsel in South Africa. And he's also lead independent director of Cricket South Africa, which is in the midst of a, a little bit of a storm at the moment, of course, following the SJN hearings and the institution of disciplinary processes against the current uh, coach. So, Stephen, uh, great having you with us. And maybe if we can just start, there is a little bit of a backlash, um, but there seems to be some misperception as well as to why exactly you've started with this particular process following what were tentative findings from the SJN um, report. Yes, thanks, Evan, and thanks very much for having me. It's a great pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Evan, I think we need to just go back and put things in their proper context. What you will know is that uh, a previous board of the CSA initiated the social justice and nation-building process, the SJN process, and appointed advocate Dumisa and Sebeza SC uh, as the ombudsman uh, for that SJN process. And what that process was intended to do was to look into allegations of racism and discrimination that had been prevalent in South African cricket for a number of years. Now, uh, different people will have different views, but it seems to me that that was a very important thing to do. Mm. Uh, racism is part of South African society in, in many ways uh, and in, in virtually every sector. And we can't close our eyes to it. And, and indeed, I, I noted yesterday the Minister of Sport in Parliament welcoming that Cricket South Africa had had the courage to engage in this process and saying that he thought that other sports uh, should proceed to do that in future. So I think that the origins of where this begins are, are, are important to sketch. But then what happened, of course, is that the SJN process occurs. Uh, Advocate Demisa Sebeza heard evidence from numerous people, including Paul Adams, who uh, testified regarding Mark Boucher, the current coach of the Proteus men's team, and, and I'll focus on Mr. Boucher, uh, uh, given your question. Uh, and what that then led to was a chance for Mr. Boucher to answer that. He decided at his election to file an affidavit rather than testifying. Advocate Nsobeza delivered his report, and in his report, he made tentative findings against a range of former or current role players in uh, cricket in South Africa, and one of them was Mr. Boucher. And so the real question for the board is, what do you do when you've got tentative findings of racism or discrimination made against the head coach of your men's team? And some commentators seem to think that what we should have done is we should have ignored it or disregarded it. Some of them say we should have ignored it or disregarded it because it was 20 years ago. But that, of course, ignores the fact that one of the findings was that uh, Mr. Boucher's apology was, uh, in the view of Advocate and Sebeza SC, in insufficient. Some of them say we should have ignored it because... Uh, the Proteas played beautifully against the Indian Test team, and, and indeed they played magnificently. Others say we should have ignored it because uh, they think that Advocate Nsebeza's approach was flawed and that the report was flawed. But none of that, in, in my respectful view, is, is, a, is a basis for the board to have ignored those recommendations and those tentative findings. Any board of any organisation, but particularly a, a, an organisation that runs a public good like cricket, is duty-bound when one of its senior employees is implicated, even tentatively, in racism or discrimination, to engage in a formal process to get to the bottom of it. And that's what Advocate and Sebeza recommended, and that is precisely what we are in the process of doing via the independent disciplinary process which we have uh, appointed. And, of course, some of the uh, commentary has also been related to the, the leaked 
charge sheet and the language used in that charge sheet, which seems to appear that, you know, well, the misperception seems to be that CSA is, is, is gunning for, you know, for Mark Boucher, which is, is not really, uh, you know, close to, you know, the truth as to why this charge sheet was drafted in that way. It had to be drafted in a, in a particular way. Yes, I think the confusion arises from the fact that, that many members of the public, and, and sometimes even lawyers, uh, don't appreciate the way a charge sheet tends to look. And just to give you a, a context for that, the, the CSA disciplinary code and the CSA uh, employment contracts adopt what might fairly be called a, a quasi-criminal approach when dealing with charges of misconduct. So uh, different organizations do it differently, but CSA... And of course, all of this predates the current board, which was appointed only in June 2021. But CSA adopts this quasi-criminal approach. And what that means is when you are charging an employee, whether it be Mr. Boucher or anybody else, when you are accusing them of misconduct, you need to formulate a charge sheet. And you need to formulate the charge sheet with precision to allege what the wrong they've committed is and with precision to allege what potential sanction you will see. So to allege that Mr. Boucher conducted himself in a racist way and to say that CSA will seek the sanction of dismissal does not mean that the board has determined mm -hmm. that Mr. Boucher has conducted himself in a racist way. And it doesn't even mean that the board has decided that if that's the case, dismissal is an appropriate sanction. The whole point of this process is to allow the independent chairperson, Advocate Terry Motau SC, uh, to make a decision on that. And the board, and, and the other thing that people don't appreciate is that, of course, many disciplinary hearings don't take place in front of independent chair people at all. Sometimes it's just a company employee, a senior person within the company who does it. Here, that's not the approach. Mm. We deliberately decided that we wanted an independent chairperson. We appointed advocate Terry Motau SC, who is vastly respected in this area. He was involved in the VBS saga. He's involved in disciplinaries for SARS and chairing disciplinaries for CSA in the past. And really, he is a, he's a leading light in this area. And he's very independent-minded. And so uh, it was demonstrated, in fact, by his ruling on when the hearing would occur. Uh, CSA wanted it heard in, in, in March because it felt that getting it done as soon as possible was essential. Mr. Boucher wanted it to be heard in June. And ultimately, uh, Advocate Motau ruled that it would hear, be heard in May. So this is not uh, someone who's appointed as part of a witch hunt or will just do the board's bidding. Uh, he's someone who will be independent and will apply himself to two key questions. Does the evidence reveal that Mr. Boucher committed gross misconduct? And if so, what is the appropriate sanction? But those will be questions that he will need to determine and that the board has not expressed itself on. Of course. And you make a very good point in that any board faced with these types of allegations, you know, it behooves them to actually do something and take action, especially in the face of, of things that are this serious, which is obviously why this had to had to happen now. And and just looking at your statement, I see the, the this fairness element. You know, a lot of people have zoned in on uh, the witch hunt and the perception and reading the charge sheet and making uh, their own assumptions based on that. But the board, but you made it very clear here that the CSA board remains mindful of its duty to treat allegations of racism or discrimination with the utmost seriousness and in a manner that ensures fairness and due process in terms of South Africa's constitution and labor legislation. And certainly speaking to you now, it seems that's exactly what you've done. 
You know, I, th- I think it's fair to say, Evan, that the, the one thing the board is is not short of is uh, is, is legal knowledge and people involved uh, in, in, in 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 the constitution. You know, you think about Lawson Naidu, our chair. You think about me. You think about Advocate Norman Aronson. Norman, yeah. And and none of us would be party to a process that was in breach of South African law, that was in breach of fairness, or that was just a, a witch hunt or a Spanish Inquisition. We and the rest of the board, let me say, and the board was unanimous on the score. The board strongly felt as a whole that it was critical that there be a fair process. Uh, and there are many other members of the board who, who also have experience in this area. Um, and we felt that it was imperative that due process be followed. But, 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 but maybe we should think about what the position would be if we had done what some people want us to have done, which is to have brushed this under the carpet or mm. ignored the recommendations. It wouldn't have served anyone's interests. Yeah. It certainly wouldn't have served Paul Adams's interests, who had laid uh, who, who had laid the, the initial allegations, but it also wouldn't have served Mark Boucher's interests because he would have been left with a cloud hanging over his head that there were tentative findings of racism and discrimination against him, and he wouldn't have had a formal platform uh, to to disprove them, and it would have hung over his head. But most importantly, it would have hung over the head of cricket, yeah, because the cricket community more than anything else, needs finality on the score. And it would not have produced finality to have this process, uh, have these tentative findings hang in the air without people knowing what their status was, without people knowing what to do with them. And, and really what this process will achieve is finality in a fair and appropriate way, which treats racism allegations very, very seriously, but makes sure that Mr. Boucher has every opportunity to defend himself uh, and, and to demonstrate that he's not guilty of the charges if, if, and, and to try and persuade uh, Advocate Mortar that that is the case. Sure. There is a sense, though, that the board may have rushed uh, this particular um, inquiry. I mean, uh, you mentioned uh, when it came to the deliberations there, um, you know, was that was there a sense of uh, around the timing with, you know, you mentioned India, but now we've got New Zealand. I mean, there's never a, a great time, right? I I, I don't really understand the complaint about it being rushed because, you know, what happened was that uh, the report landed, uh, to the best of my recollection, on the 10th of December. The board then met twice, uh, I think on the 14th and the 18th of December, and two days later issued a statement publicly saying that the board had decided that there would be formal processes uh, in relation to all people who were associated with CSA against whom uh, tentative findings had been made and that that would include Mr. Boucher. Now, that was not a rushed process. Mm -hmm. That was a process which took legal advice, which uh, considered the report, which debated the matters extensively in the board and which ultimately and unanimously resolved that that was the approach to take. So that certainly wasn't rushed. What then happened, of course, was that there was the need for the formulation of the charge sheet uh, and the need for uh, uh, legal advice to be sought on on precisely how to go about the hearing in respect of Mr. Boucher. And ultimately, the charge sheet uh, was was ready uh, after advice of attorneys and counsel was taken by the middle of January, and it was promptly sent to Mr. Boucher, not on the eve of the second ODI against India, but in fact uh, before the ODIs began and after the test series had ended. And no fuss was made, there was no attempt to destabilise the team, and it was only when a journalist somehow got wind of it that we were we were forced to to, to release that to into the public domain. But we we've been clear: there is never a good time. Mm. to uh, charge your national coach with misconduct. But we couldn't be dictated to by those considerations. We had to do it as soon as we were ready. We were ready in January. We did so. If we'd waited until later, 
then we would simply have been on the eve of the New Zealand tour. If we waited until after the New Zealand tour, we would have been on the eve of the Bangladesh tour. If we'd waited until after the Bangladesh tour, we were into the English tour. The truth is, in 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 a cricket calendar like this, there's never a good time. And so we couldn't be dictated to by that. We had to simply do what was right. Uh, and know that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that the coach and the players would treat it uh, as the adults and professionals that they are and carry on uh, doing their job for the protest. Yeah, sure. And of course, the the issue of suspension comes up and it came up again now before the Portfolio Committee. Um, Some people still don't quite understand why there wasn't um, a suspension in this case. Yes. So it's worth just recapping the principles of suspension. Uh, There is no automatic position about whether someone should be suspended facing disciplinary charges. It all depends on the nature of the offence, it depends on the nature of the employee, it depends on the risk that the employee will engage in conduct which will undermine witnesses and interfere with the process. And so suspension was discussed on the board uh, and there were different views aired as to whether suspension should or should not take place. But ultimately and before any, any decision was taken, the board decided to get legal advice from two independent labour experts, really leaders in their field, and each of them independently concluded that having looked at the CSA code, having looked at Mr. Boucher's employment contract, and having looked at the circumstances, there was no lawful basis to suspend, and that if we did suspend Mr. Boucher, we would likely face challenge in the Labour Court and, and would, likely, uh, uh, would likely lose in the Labour Court. And, and, and faced with that unequivocal advice from two independent labour law experts, the board, the board unanimously took the view that suspension should not be adopted. Uh, and, and, um, and, and, and that, I think, can hardly be criticised. CSA is an organisation that believes in following the law, mm-hmm. uh, and that is precisely what we did. And now, uh, the SJN, obviously, there were quite a few findings made. Uh, Graham Smith, also, obviously, his, his contract, and there were certain issues as well there during his playing days that came up. What, what are the next steps in that regard? So with regard to Mr. Smith, um, as we announced uh, in, on the 20th of, of December, Mr. Smith will also be subject to a, a process regarding the tentative findings made against him. That process will take a slightly different shape uh, because Mr. Smith's contract was not an employment contract but was an imp- independent contractor uh, contract. And we're in the process of finalising those arrangements and should be in a position to make an announcement in the, in the next few days as to precisely uh, what shape it will take and, and when it will occur. But, uh, but there will be a process in respect of the tentative findings against Mr. Smith. And again, that process uh, will be dealt with by an independent and very well-respected senior counsel. We've been adamant that we can't be judge and jury uh, in this in this situation as the board. We have got to uh, engage appropriate legal professionals and appropriate independent legal professionals to have the hearings and to make the decisions. And, and, and that, that ensures due process and fairness for all concerned. Mm. Any other disciplinaries planned outside of Smith, this stage? At the moment, those are the two we've announced, uh, but the board is working intensively on the SJN report as a whole. And and I should probably say, Evan, it's a mistake to see the SJN report as just being about Mr. Smith, Mr. Boucher, or or any individual. It also made a number of of helpful findings and recommendations again in relation to uh, more systemic issues. And the board has been intensively working in its different committees on how to deal with those issues. And we hope to be in a position to uh, announce our program of action in that regard uh, towards the end of February Um, and in doing so really promote the uh, strategy that the new board has adopted 
of access, inclusivity, and excellence. And, and, and really, the, 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 the findings of the SJN report dovetail very neatly with that strategy because we are committed to making sure that cricket is put on a path to access, inclusivity, and excellence, and, and, uh, and we intend to do so, and in doing so, uh, take careful account uh, of the various recommendations made by the SJN report. Well, Stephen, I think that's a fabulous point to, to conclude. I think you've just summarized exactly where you are and where you stand and what the future holds. And, and you've also clarified a lot of these issues and misperceptions, I think, that still exist out there. So thanks very much for the time. been absolutely fabulous uh, talking. No, it's been great to talk. And, and hopefully uh, we can enjoy wonderful performances by the Proteas men's team in New Zealand and by the Proteas women's team in the World Cup in New Zealand. And uh, really, they're both playing marvellously well. And we, we look forward to, to fabulous performances from, from both of them. Absolutely brilliant. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks very much, Evan.